Hey there, Sinister Citizens, and welcome back to another episode of Sinister Soup, the show where we discuss genre fiction, science fiction, horror, and fantasy through the lens of ridiculous conversation, argument, and some dice rolling. Uh, as always, I am one of your hosts, Travis Vermullum. And I am Clay Vermullum, the other of your hosts. And we can give you a little rundown of the segments at the beginning here. You can time skip ahead if you'd like. But for those of you who might be joining the show or uh, new, we do three segments. Our first one, we're going to bring you some culture, which is just a fun thing or a creative thing or a um, helpful thing that we've seen out in the world that we want to promote. The second one, we're going to do Roll for Entrollment. We're bringing you a new book or movie that we'll be arguing about this week over some dice rolling along with a trivia question that may grant one or two one of us a better dice roll and advantage and then finally we're going to tell you exactly what we actually think about that we'll get a little more into that though first clayton bring us some culture all right for this week my culture is going to be a fellow indie author uh matthew seska Actually, we're going to have him on the show later this month. But I also wanted to shout him out as our culture today because he's got a brand new book coming out called The Miranda Project. Oh. Yeah. And back when we interviewed him, he had only sort of alluded to this book. Uh, But now it's officially coming out. You can pre-order it soon. And uh, I want to encourage everybody to do that. He has another series called The Forbidden Scrolls. Yeah. And you can learn more about that uh, at the end of the month when you uh, when you listen to his interview and get the links for that and everything. But Forbidden Scrolls is like a fantasy, very D&D themed. And if you like like Vox Machina or any any like D&D centric sort of story, you'll definitely like like this party adventure story by Matt. It's awesome. He's got years of experience as a DM. And you can tell that he brings that into his narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Miranda Project is a sci-fi book, so and he said it's a lot different. I've pre-ordered it, and I'm I'm looking forward to reading up on it and seeing what it's all about. So we encourage you to go check out Matt; he's awesome. Um, and then make sure to tune in at the end of the month for the interview with him. Yeah, uh, his book, his Forbidden Scrolls series, started off awesome. I loved the first one, so I'm excited to pre-order that as well. I didn't know that was coming out. Yeah, I just I've I've got him on Twitter, so that's where I saw it. But he's been talked about a lot on there, and it looks pretty cool. Right on. We wish you the best of luck in that new book publishing, Matthew. Um, Go get a Matt. Definitely tune in for that interview because it's a really fun conversation. We. Geek out a lot. Mm-hmm. Together. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so what do you got, Travis? I just got back, as you know, brother of mine, from a week-long service immersion trip, they call them, because we did a little bit of service and a lot of bit of learning. So it was a lot more on the immersion side. Um, in San Diego, talking about uh, the border, um, different neighborhoods near sort of that border area and different parts of San Diego that are trying to kind of have their cultural identity more strongly promoted and have their the wealth inside of their communities more directly affecting the people who actually live there rather than just having influxes of new people move in. 
all that to say, um, it was a lot of really cool social issues that we talked about, and it was all organized by an amazing organization called Via International. And Via does take donations, which is why I'm I'm repping them today. They do amazing work. They both do a lot of these immersion trips as well as just give back to the border community. They work with all entities surrounding the border to help just create more of a community uh, rather than this divided place in San Diego. And yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot more I can say about that. They were amazing. Uh, They really just truly welcomed a group of me and a group of college students I was with into the communities that we never would have gotten to see uh, if we hadn't gone through that organization. And the money you'll give to them will go directly to helping schools, helping neighborhoods, helping businesses, helping uh, some veterans. They have a few programs for veterans that have been deported or families of veterans who have been, who are kind of struggling to get their legal immigration status. So your money, if you give to them, goes to more causes than you can think of. So you can find them online. They're called Via International. They're outside of San Diego. And yeah, I, I just couldn't seen their praises enough honestly cool yeah i mean that obviously that's an awesome thing to be a part of good on you yeah i mean and it's it was good to go but it's it's all because of via that we could do it so cool yeah well if you want to support all those good causes uh do your part for your fellow humans that's one way you can do it we'll put links in the description as to how you can do so all right well now I believe we're going to go into the roll for entrollment. Forced entrollment. You can never get this right. I never do. I always say roll for entrollment. Um, We do roll for it. We do roll for entrollment. So in this segment, (laughs) we're going to roll two d20s. And one of us is going to have a higher number. One of us is going to have a lower number. The one with the higher gets to argue for the piece of literature we will be talking about today and the one who rolls lower will be arguing against it um the kicker is there will be a trivia question that clayton will give to me in which he may earn or lose advantage meaning he gets to roll two dice and then just tell me if he's higher or lower which uh leaves a bit of mystery on whether or not he actually likes the thing or does not so clay how about you tell him about our book we're talking about today and then Give me a good old trivia. Today we're going to be talking about The Lies of Locke Lamora, which is the first book in the Gentleman Bastards series by Scott Lynch. Locke Lamora is about a young boy named Locke, and he's sort of like a criminal prodigy uh, from a very young age. He He's an orphan, and he gets snatched up by a a group that uh, raises orphan children to become professional thieves and then basically sell them to the gangs of the city of Camor, which is a sort of Venetian-style fantasy city that Scott Lynch has created. The the orphan, the orphanage, if you will. The the place where Locke is raised is called Shades Hill, and it's a, it's a place where a bunch of orphans again, are just brought up to become professional thieves, and then the warden of Shades Hill sells them to the gangs, um, and that's that's how he makes his living. So 
Locke, from a young age, gets trained to be a professional thief. Not that he really needs it. He's actually a little too good at being a thief, um, which causes a lot of trouble in Shades Hill because he's always doing too big of crimes and too big of things. So Locke goes on to become part of a small gang that's relatively uh, low-key, quote-unquote, called the Gentleman Bastards. But what the other gangs of Kamor don't know about the Gentleman Bastards is they're actually one of the most successful gangs in the city. They just keep everything kind of on the hush. Um, and any big crimes they pull off, they never take any credit for it. So Locke ends up getting abducted into this, uh, inducted rather, not abducted, inducted into one of the uh, best gangs he could have. And he really thrives there. And uh, he ends up becoming the leader of the Gentleman Bastards. And everything's kind of going swell for him at the start of the book. They're pulling off a big heist. But things, of course, go awry, uh, as they as they tend to do in Scott Lynch's novels. A wizard shows up and starts causing a bunch of trouble for the Gentleman Bastards and the other gangs of Kamor, um, because he has he's part of a massive sort of terrorist attack on the city. Um, and once the Gentleman Bastards get caught up in it, it becomes up to Locke and Jean and Carlo and Galdo and Bug, that's all the Gentleman Bastards, to stop it from killing a massive amount of their city's citizens. Yeah. I think that's that's about it. Um, yeah. Got anything else to add? No, not, not without giving some opinions, which we're about to do. Right. All right. What, do you, what do you got for a trivia question for me? Okay, so when Locke is uh, he's working his way in with the nobles, yeah, um, he goes to a festival with them, and what they're watching is these women called contrarequialis, mm-hmm. who are basically gladiators who fight sharks. Yep. Um, what? is that fighting of sharks called what is the event called is it a the shifting revel mm-hmm. b the teeth show three leaping blood or d the red depths d red depths d. yeah I'm, pro- I'm probably wrong yeah it is uh b the teeth show oh all right and the shifting revel is what the actual whole celebration. I knew was. that. I knew that was the the whole party, but not the event. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's called the Teeth Show, so cool. I get advantage. There you go. Roll it. Roll it. <laughs> yes. Nat twenty. Nat twenty. Nice. Well, I'm lower. Those never happened to me. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> I think that's actually our first Nat 20 on this show for this segment. Is it? I think so. I can't I, remember ever ever getting one. Can you? I just want to say I think I manifested that. Like like I was given I was like he's going to ask me something I don't know, but I'm going to get a Nat 20. The whole time you were giving the summary of the book, I was thinking that like come on. <laughs> he's going to well, ask me something I don't know, but I'm going to get a Nat 20. All right. There you have it. Cool. Well, the timer will start, and I will start now. I'm very happy I got a hat. <laughs> Let me be honest. 
Because uh, The Lies of Lacamora is just a really, really good book. Um, it has one of my favorite fantasy tropes for sure, which is um, found family. I think the found family trope in fantasy is very rarely ever overdone. I really enjoy it. I love the mix of characters, the twins, uh, John, who's definitely my favorite. Uh, I always love the bruisers and uh, Locke, and then all of them led by chains. But to talk about the technical kind of makeup of the book that I think makes it stand out from other stories is the interlude sort of um, uh, style that it has. So you get, as a reader, you get these the modern story of John sort or Locke and John leading the gentleman bastards through these modern heists, and then later this very internal city conflict that's pulling them into deeper and deeper crap that they don't really want to be in. But intermixed in all of that are these interludes that explain these interludes that explain past events and how John and Locke became what they are now and how they became the gentleman bastards and how they worked with their old master uh, chains and it's just incredibly well realized because it, uh, Scott Lynch gives you the breaks you need exactly when you need them and sometimes withholds information from you just long enough to keep the mystery going and then with the interludes kind of throws it in there where you're like oh that's why this is happening like this and I think he even masterfully does that within the chapters themselves. I remember when this book really got me hooked was there's a chapter when he's first kind of running his con and it was so Ocean's Eleven because uh, modern Ocean's Eleven, not the Frank Sinatra one, that one sucks. Um, <laughs> it was it was like a, the modern Ocean's Eleven movie where you're, you're in one spot watching and you're like, there's no possible way they can pull this off and how are they doing all of this? And you would get part of the story and then it would have a paragraph break and a little chapter interlude kind of thing that would be like, on the other side of the city, at the same time, this was happening with this guy and he was like dressing up as this person and you had just seen that person and you're like, oh, so it was them the whole time. It's very well done um, and really keeps you in that heist mentality where you're, you're constantly as the reader being like, I know they're going to do this. I just am so excited to figure out how, which is why I, I compare it to Ocean's Eleven. It's just a masterfully done heist thriller with a lot of dark themes, a medieval tone. If I were to like mash two shows and movie together that, I mean, it's Ocean's Eleven meets some of the most brutal episodes of like Game of Thrones, um, kind of mixed into this delightful fantasy thriller that i think really anyone could read um i guess if you have a weak stomach don't but besides that if you're just a fantasy fan like this is a book you need to pick up yeah i actually had a little bit of an issue with the with the pacing of the book at times i felt like it was sort all the interludes and the jumping around got a little confusing to me but that's not a major gripe with it. I just don't think it was as masterfully pulled off as you do. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my main gripe with Locke Lamore is this. And I think this happens a lot with like tongue-in-cheek writing styles. Um, because Scott Lynch takes on these dark themes, but he's also like writing... A lot of his content is like very humorous. 
mm-hmm. um, and vulgarity ridden. And I don't know. I thought it was a little bit over the top with the humor, honestly, for how dark the story was. I felt like it not only detracted from the dark elements that he was tackling, but it also sort of, because he's so tongue-in-cheek as a writer, it sort of like infected all his characters, and I think it's just his voice. I think he had a lot of really good, uh, well-polished characters, so I'm not talking about really the main cast, per se. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, Carlo and Galdo are just one character uh, split in two, you know? kind of like typical twins like like fred and george weasley kind of mm-hmm. situation yeah. um but i'm not gonna sit here and tell you like father chains and jean and Locke aren't well-rounded characters because they they just are i can't even argue that mm-hmm. but all the side characters in the world all sort of feel the same to me mm. um they all feel like this background color on a canvas you know you have like your four main like portrait characters but then you just have your background colors that sort of blend into like a collage, you know what I mean? Mm. And I feel like this collage of Kamor is just this like dirty, greasy, vulgar, uh, nasty, <laughs> brown, mucky color mm. of like all these people that they interact with. Like every fr- everybody from Barsavi down to like the, the one shopkeeper where they have to fence their wares they all just they all just sort of felt like the same character to me it's like the whole city of Kamor is a character and i don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing but i don't know i just don't think that people are that uniform even when they are in one like big culture unless they're all in like a like if you're at a sporting event or something everybody's going to be of the same mindset but i feel like all the characters in that book to me felt like they were all kind of in that same mindset and only our main cast of characters was really developing or growing or moving through it as as real believable people so i guess that would be my main argument against lock lamora just kind of felt like every time they interacted with someone who wasn't a named character they're just they might as well have been any character in the book i don't know if i i fully agree because i i think I can see what your where your criticism is coming from, but I I think there's more of an emphasis on the sort of underbelly because that's where Locke is coming from. But I think we get a lot of like views of the other side of this kind of Venetian city as well, with the lords, with the like the party at the end. Those are all characters who kind of bleed this, or not bleed, but display this this royal feeling, but underneath them is like a shadiness and it kind of has this so i can see that tone the shady tone traces through but i don't think it's all mucky brown and uh you know underbelly gross like it's not a gotham which i think along with you even if i did like fully commit to your criticism i don't even think it's really that bad of a thing because i think it's scott lynch doing really solid world building and creating the city as a character and I, I reference Gotham because, you know, the Batman's fresh on my mind. But Gotham, that's one thing some of those movies have missed is that Gotham itself should be a character because it is in Batman's story. And I think Scott Lynch does that here. He uses the city of Kimura as a character itself. And he does so through a lot of the side characters as, long, as well as the descriptions of the buildings, the descriptions of how they have to travel by boat and canal all the time. So 
I do think there is a divide though between like the royal upper class and the the underbelly that locks room, and I think Scott Lynch separates those side characters well. But even if he didn't, I I do think that like what he does is turn Kimura into one of the characters in the narrative, which is a hard thing to do in world building and bad world building pulls me out of a fantasy pretty fast. Um, even some of my favorite like action fantasies or character driven fantasies. I'll take the first Poppy War, for example. I love that book, but I don't think it's world building is my favorite. Um, I never felt like I was in that country. Whereas Kimura, I kind of get that sense that every minute I'm reading that story, I'm in Kimura. Yeah, I mean, I get that, but I, I still I still stand by what I said, that while I think the city itself is pretty well-developed, I don't think most of the side characters are. They all just sort of seem like the same character, and I would have liked to see a little bit more variety there, I suppose, especially when you look at the depth that he that he puts into, like, his, his main cast, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, like... I wasn't crazy about the magic system. It's just kind of four game of the week. We're just about to get into the magic system. Board game of the week. Board game of the week. Let's do it. We are. We are doing this week. We're starting this month with the. We're gonna do like combat-based card games. Last month. Last month was um, focused on sort of uh resource management yeah resource management board games this week this month is going to be card games with a combat focus our first one is the i believe it was the first trading card game ever wasn't it i cannot say that with any sort of authority um you're definitely setting yourself up to get um actually you know i'm actually all you all you want i think it was (laughs) <laughs> Please let me know if it wasn't. I think Magic the Gathering was the first like combat trading card type game. Um, not trading cards. I think baseball cards were were around mm. before Magic, but it was the first like combat trading card game, which might not even be the official title of it. Anyway, we're talking about Magic the Gathering. It's a classic. I don't yep. even know how much we need to say about what it is. It is a full fantasy world in card decks with different sort of generations uh, Mm -hmm. that come and are released and you buy those and they give you new characters in which you build uh, decks around manas and there are uh, what four five there's five there's five mana yep five colors of mana so there's black green red blue white and each one gives you a different sort of tactic of combat. I am a usually mono red or red white, which means I like to try and attack fast and beat my opponent as quickly as possible before they can build their deck up to be stronger than mine. And I don't know, Clay, do you have a standard? Yeah, I usually go green and black. I actually like to do the opposite. I like kind of defensive decks that build themselves up and slowly and even benefit from taking damage a lot of the time or losing creatures and mm-hmm. then kind of come back and hit really hard and like win the game in one turn. Yeah. I mean, it has so the game has so many awesome elements to it. There's different ways to build. There's different ways to win. There's different 
the tournaments are usually any major town you're going to find yourself in you can probably find a magic the gathering like group to to bond with and it might be a way for you to make new friends in a place that you don't know if you play even the artwork i had a friend emily who never played the game but loved when i bought cards because she was just like i love looking at the pictures because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're so detailed and so immersive yeah magic's great i mean if you're a fantasy geek uh the only thing it's not great for is your wallet yeah. Um, definitely spend too much money on magic cards, but if you enjoy building decks and playing like battle card games, there's really no game better than magic. You just, it's like huge and so many people know how to play it and it's easy. You know, it's not like a, a lot of these games we'll be talking about on this show. You will benefit strongly from playing it with someone who already knows how, or else you're going to have to like read the rule book and root your way through it as a newbie with with another new person Mm -hmm. um but if you play with somebody like terraforming mars for example i would always want to play that with somebody who knew it first so that they can just help you learn it because otherwise you're going to spend an hour reading that book Mm -hmm. magic isn't like that magic is super simple anyone can learn it um i mean my fiance is a therapist and she uses uh basic magic decks uh with with some of her clients just to just to have an activity to to open up conversation mm-hmm. and um it's a great great game to play uh that you can build as many decks as you want <laughs> there's all kinds of different uh types of magic that you can play like uh formats you can play where cards certain cards are allowed or not and different ways to play the game by the way i invented a, a new way to play the game did i tell you about this you did yeah, I, I'm revolutionizing magic, everybody. Listen See, now, now you're going to get the well, actually, people. I, I bet you get an email that's like, um, actually, I came up with that in 2006 when I was at this one convention, and you steal it. <laughs> I'm not. Okay, well, listen here. If you came up with this idea before me, just let me know, and we'll team up, and we'll go to Wizards of the Coast, because it's going to revolutionize the game. This is called landless magic, okay? Because the worst mechanic in magic is the land system. It's it's all screwy, in my opinion. We don't have time to sit here and talk about landless magic. I'm gonna. T- <laughs> I'm a- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna talk about landless magic in my newsletter, okay? I'm gonna do a big blast about it. So if you want that for some reason, then join my newsletter and you'll see it. You'll see it this month. Uh, it was all the promotion ruse. It is. It actually wasn't. <laughs> I was going to sit here and rant about it for like 15 minutes. But we are trying to like keep our show on a, a sort of set amount of time. Fair. Um, so I'm not going to do that. Join the newsletter, ClaverMoleFiction.com, if you want to hear about my ranting about landless magic. And if you don't, then just don't do that and just ignore everything I just said. Uh, regardless, you should play Magic. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. Go out and buy yourself a, a pack. You know, go buy one of the box sets, and that'll give you enough to build a deck, one of the big box sets. Uh, just, at, like, look into what the different generations focus on and pick one that sounds cool to you and build that and get started because it's, it's really fun. There's always communities around, and it's a great time. And don't let the gatekeepers get you down because they you might run into some. It's a it's a long lasting fantasy game. There's gatekeepers. you will, 
you will run into some. Yeah, you're gonna run into some gatekeepers. Don't just just ignore them. It's a fun game. <laughs> I probably yeah. don't play it right half the time, and I don't care. <laughs> yeah, just ignore them. Build decks that are fun to you, and if you play enough and you end up like wanting to take it seriously or like do tournaments, then 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 look at do your homework and find out what's really legal and what's not. Otherwise, just find fun mechanics and fun cards and, and play the damn game. Indeed. Yeah. All right, Clay. With that, tell these people how it hurt so much. <laughs> it, it hurt a lot. Uh, <laughs> I didn't believe a word I said back there. I no. love Locke Lamora. I pulled that right out of my butt. I didn't <laughs> even have anything to argue about. Uh, I was like, I don't know why I didn't think of something I should have. That was dumb. But honestly, I should work harder on these stories that I really like to find things I don't like. But I, I always forget to do that because I'm enjoying them so much. So I really didn't have an argument against Locke Lamora. Hopefully that was satisfactory there. Listeners, as a debate, I think it was okay. But pretty weak overall because I don't have anything bad to say about it. This is my favorite fantasy book since Game of Thrones, bar none. Like, bar none, no competition. And I, I read a lot of fantasy books, people. This this is like, I like to say this is like if Douglas Adams, the guy who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, if he wrote Game of Thrones, this is what it would be. Mm -hmm. um, it's like hilarious. It's super dark. It's like gritty and visceral. But it's also so real and engrossing mm -hmm. and touching mm -hmm. and emotional mm -hmm. i mean this book made me cry um and i never do that i mm -hmm. i can count on one hand the amount of times a book has made me cry i've cried at a couple movies that's usually from like a stirring act uh, a stirring performance can sometimes make me cry when i can like really see the raw grief from the actor or actress you know i'm the, I'm the one who cries at the the things more yeah um, I I don't know how many times I cried at a book. I cried during uh I cried from a couple things in Game of Thrones in the Song of Ice and Fire series. Um and I cried at Loch Lamora and I can't even remember any other times from a book. So this is like huge. Yeah. Hugely, hugely awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome it, book. It's a very good book. Um, I, I already got to say pretty much my piece. Uh, I think it's it's very Ocean's Eleven meets dark fantasy, in my opinion. That's kind of how the heist scenes are just mm -hmm. so fun. But for all of you major movie nerds out there, um, if you're a fan of Martin McDonough, who did uh, In Bruges and Three Bill Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Seven Psychopaths, he's only done three movies, I think. Three masterpieces. Three masterpieces. He's one of boss. my favorite working directors, and I every time I see, if I see his name come up, I'm gonna go watch it. Mm -hmm. He Scott Lynch does a very similar thing that Mark McDonough does with storytelling. Is mm -hmm. that you know going into a Mark McDonough movie, you're going to be laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing, or just giddy with excitement and enjoyment, and then on the turn of a dime crying <laughs> You're, it's dark it is real suicide. yeah it is just yeah and there's not a lot of storytellers i know i compare him to martin mcdonough because there's not a lot of storytellers i know that have that that pacing down because mm -hmm. it is hard to do i know i know a lot of directors and writers who've tried 
and miserably failed at it where they are like, oh, we're going to change tone really quick. And it just mm-hmm. is so jarring that I'm like, I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. But McDonough and Lynch are the two that I would say have it down to where it's not jarring in the sense that it pulls you out of the story. It's jarring in the sense that you should have seen it coming the whole time, but you didn't. And when it hits, you're like, oh, man, I knew that was going to happen subconsciously, but I'm just now realizing that, like, it happened. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a beautiful scene happening in a car, and then they get in a car crash, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but done perfectly. Done perfectly. Yeah. It'd be like if they wrote one of those scenes realistically, you know? Like the character isn't looking over the whole time and not paying attention. Like they're actually paying attention to the road and they still get it in an accident. That's what yeah. it would be like. Yeah. Um, and you, could you speak just to kind of, I think we're both just gushing over this, these books, but to have you sort of some, to have you end this discussion of gushing over them, you've read the whole series. I haven't. So does, does Lynch stay consistent? Oh yeah, dude. It, it only gets better. Well, I don't know if I can say that, honestly, because Lachlan Moore is so good. But they're all really, really good, and they're all different. Like, you go on a separate journey, and despite knowing Lynch's style, like, knowing that people are going to die, knowing that the stakes are very high, and knowing that, like, oh, you know, it's kind of like reading any author that kills off characters that you care about, but you're like, oh, this is too good, so these people are doomed, you know? But he does enough of not doing that, too, that you never actually do know who's going to die, but you do know the stakes are real. Um, He's great at carrying that on throughout the story. And it does not it does not lose its momentum. It does not lose its ability to make you laugh, cry, sit on the edge of your seat the entire time. Uh, Masterful, masterful series. And it's not over. There are supposed to be seven books. Oh, okay. He's only written three. and He's releasing the fourth soon. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, But he's kind of another Rothfuss Martin figure, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that going into the series. I thought it was a three-book series. And then I found out when I finished Republic of Thieves that um, that is not the case. All right. Um, I made up what I was about to say about the magic system, too. Loved it. Thought it was great. Oh, yeah. Uh, I I love that it's, it's like, kind of elitist. (laughs) yeah yeah which makes sense yeah it does not everyone can use it but the ones who can are like they they make the rules you know just blatantly you can't like there's so many times in that book where they're like hey we could do this and they're like no we can't because we piss off the mages (laughs) like we can't do that or we die sort of like uh buyers in um in the uh first law yeah i also love so powerful yeah I also love that it's, I, I think it's refreshing in a fantasy novel because I don't think I've read one in a while where the main character doesn't have magic. None of them do. That's true. None of them do. Yeah, none of them. They're just all thieves. There's a distinctive magic system, but none mm-hmm. of them are magic. No, and they have to fight magic uh, directly. So it's yeah. interesting to see how they overcome it only just. <laughs> only just. Um, and... We have gushed a bit, but before we end today, I would like to get some specifics, you know, so we don't just sound like a couple, like, fanboys. I guess you already argued your good points, but what's, like, 
if not your favorite element of the story, because that's sort of what you already said. So what's your favorite like character or scene or moment in the lives of Locke Lamora? Oh man, that's tough. Um, and this goes to what I was going to argue if I lost. I was going to argue the pacing because I think my favorite moment actually comes early. There are so many great moments, but I mm -hmm. think that first major heist chapter. Um, I think in the it, alley. In yeah, in the alley with the kind yeah. of interspersed <laughs> chapter interludes. I think that. And you're getting these little snippets of the characters and like what archetypes they are just by quippy conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that is my favorite scene in the whole book, which is why I was going to argue pacing because I was going to say like, oh, after that scene, the whole thing slowed down, which is a lie. It didn't. Um, there's like a ton of great stuff. And if you're into more like combat fantasy, if you're into darker fantasy, the later half of the book is definitely better. But I think I've been reading a lot of that lately. I just finished First Law. And I just finished the Poppy War series. So I was kind of like in the drudges of the dark fantasy. That's both series well-written, but I kind of needed that lighthearted heist in my life. And it came and I was like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> and I it did is. feel like I was reading an Oceans movie, but in medieval times, which I love Oceans 11. Oh, yeah, it's great. And the, the fast pace of Locke Lamore is irresistibly fun. I mean, it's <laughs> such a page turner. You just burn through those books. That's great. And then, so your favorite moment was like the initial setup of the heist? The initial setup of the heist, the alley, the the different costume changing. Um, yeah, I really loved that. And my favorite character, I think you asked that as well, is, is definitely John. John's great. I like, I like bruisers. That's my, that's my type, <laughs> my archetype. So in a, if there was a movie and you were casting it, you'd want to play John? I would. I wouldn't want to be, although I don't think I'm, big enough but that's yeah. not what i'm asking who would you want to play <laughs> i'd want to play john I'd want, for yeah. sure that'd be sick john's great too because he starts off as just like a pudgy loser nerd mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um with a temper uh and that brings me to my favorite character i love father chains so Ch much chains is awesome <laughs> so father chains is the best mentor character i've read for such a long time yeah um yeah because it's he's so well-rounded and great and he gets even better throughout the series because you continue to see flashbacks of chains raising these kids mm. but i love i love his character because so often it's so common to see like that eccentric crazy crazy guy in the woods type mentor you mm -hmm. know like uh elodin in uh, Name of the Wind and stuff. And I love that character. I mean, he's fun. But like the eccentric madman who's prodigy, former yeah. prodigy, and then is inevitably going to sacrifice himself for the greater good, you know. And uh, June, June in the Poppy War? June, yeah, June. yeah I, think, I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's a similar type character, right? The yeah. lore master. Yeah. Um, that's such a common... And Father Chains, to me, started out kind of seeming that way. But I think the thing with those those eccentric, manic characters is they're often sort of sociopathic. Mm -hmm. uh, like, they care about the people that they're mentoring, but mostly because they need them to do what they're training them to do. Mm -hmm. But Father Chains is genuinely, like, cares for these kids mm -hmm. that he's raising. Mm -hmm. And he's taking them from, like, a complete crap life and giving them a real shot at, at doing something really big and and important 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like so much bigger of a character than he seems at first. You know, he seems like just a low life criminal at first. And then you realize, oh no, these guys are stockpiling gold. You know, like these guys are big players, but Father Chains is a genius and mm-hmm. he's teaching them how to do everything the perfect way, you know? Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, he's like ruthless. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that was one of my favorite uh parts one of my favorite parts is when he takes lock up on the when he talks to lock about the tooth yeah mm-hmm. he gives lock the tooth and basically says yeah um if you do any of the crap you did at shades hill you're dead period mm-hmm. you know i don't want to kill you i think you're awesome i want to make you even more awesome but you can't do that anymore <laughs> yeah he does you a know? lot of tough love stuff tough love but also like instilling that code the thieves mm-hmm. honor code and then it pays off so big at the end when Locke sinks that ship and it's all donated to his dead uh, to his dead friends spoiler alert some of yeah. his friends die um but there's a there's a a thing in Locke Lamora where if you're a thief you have to like throw away wealth donated to your friends and to the uh, crooked warden who's like the god of thieves mm-hmm. um and Father Chains essentially like before Locke can take off this shark tooth necklace that he that basically means he can be killed at any time by the the gangs of the city. He has to like pay for some deaths that he caused at Shades Hill with tribute. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a great way to indoctrinate him into the into the group, into the gentleman bastards. And Father Chains is just an awesome character. Yeah, I don't know if you've watched Arcane yet. I know we're going to talk about it later in the season, but um, mm-hmm. Chains get one. I I would be willing to bet the writers of Arcane have read Lockamora because the like the primary father figure of that show gave me very big Chains vibes. Mm, cool. No, I have. I still have yet to watch it, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to before right. before the day comes. So yeah, I mean. And I mean, my favorite scene in Lock Lamora, I guess, is honestly probably is the shark thing. That was so cool. <laughs> what a great idea, you know? And I, I thought that scene was awesome, not just because it was super neat, which it was, but because I felt like it did such a great job of, like, showing us what kind of world this was. Yeah. Like, on mm-hmm. every level. Like on the level of this is a water centric world, this is a violence centric world, but then also like the very clear divide between the upper and lower class that is like never really on bigger display than in like a slave market or any kind of like fighting pit setting, yeah. you know, where it's like the rich are literally up here partying <laughs> and the poor are down there getting eaten by sharks. Yeah, uh, just to like just to make a little bit of scratch, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it really like just shows that that visceral divide between the rich and poor in this city, and it does it with like a water theme with blood and uh death just on on dramatic display. So yeah. I thought that scene, aside from just being cool, was very symbolic and very powerful too. It's a scene that do- does exactly what I. I was kind of praising this story for making Kamora a character. Mm-hmm. And doing it with a scene like that is very powerful because like 
it doesn't matter what kind of reader you are, you're not going to be bored if you're reading about people on floating platforms trying to fight giant sharks. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> how can you be bored? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. so unique and, and fun. Yeah, for sure. We well, like it. We like it. We love it. Um, I need we want to read some more of it. I was just about to say I need to read those <laughs> books and get some more of it. Um, the, yeah. the next two, but check out Lies of Lacamora by Scott Lynch. And that's probably going to be a show. Um, but yeah, recommend it. We will put some links in the description so that you can find those. And I'll put some information on where you can follow me and Travis on social media and on my website and anywhere else you might want to do that. We'll also put links to our bring some culture segments so uh yeah that's pretty much going to be a podcast that's a podcast ladies gentlemen and everybody else until next time i have been clay vermillion and i have been travis vermillion and we are both still those people